Today's very good afternoon. It's Niall boiling for the next uh, half hour, 45 minutes or so. Thank you for joining us today. A little bit special today. A little bit of a treat for you, actually. A man that's been in the news quite a lot lately. Not because he's a politician. Not because he's a celebrity. Although he's becoming a bit of a celebrity, really, isn't he? Amongst a certain group of people. Uh, he works with Grip Media, and it's Ben Scallon. Ben, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Noel. Great to be here. Yeah, well, you are becoming a little bit of a celebrity because every time I turn on a press conference now, you're there asking some sort of awkward question. That's kind of, you, you're getting a bit of a reputation for yourself. Do they kind of hate you at this stage, the political class? Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I won't name him, but at a recent event, we were packing up to leave and a senior minister, he came right up to me and he said, uh, oh, Ben, did I hear through the grapevine that you're having a baby? And I said, yeah, you know, that's true. And he says, oh, congratulations. When's the due date and all this kind of thing? And, you know, ob obviously I was civil and polite, but you never know. Is this trying to sort of... Uh, uh, win you over or you, you know like it's kind of a classic or, or is he thinking we'll get a break because he'll take paternity leave maybe or, and we'll get a break <laughs> for a few weeks Ben look a lot of people have been watching your videos on Grip Media and some of your opinion pieces they're wonderful I know you have your own podcasts as well that you put out too and it's wonderful stuff it's certainly a breath of fresh air here in Ireland I like to think yeah, I, of course, I think I was doing it long before you were. But however, I won't get into that. But uh, I want to just get into a back, bit of background on you because you seem to come from nowhere at one point and all of a sudden you're everywhere. I mean, first of all, um, you were born in Ireland. Or were you born in Ireland? I was born in Ireland, born and raised in Dublin. Absolutely. Yeah. And did you always want to get into media? Is that something you had a great interest in? Or was that the last thing in your mind growing up in school? Were you always a bit of a chatterbox or a little bit of an opinionated individual? Or was that just something that you kind of picked up later in life? Yeah, I, I was always very, very uh, opinionated in class. I, I have this distinct memory uh, during, um, you know, the run-up to the Eighth Amendment referendum. We had a debate in class about abortion. And I was literally the only person in the class who was willing to publicly represent the pro-life position. And I think one of my friends, who wasn't even pro-life, he, he agreed to be on my team just to balance it out, because otherwise right. it would have been literally me against the entire class. You know? <laughs> even so, though he didn't believe you, he was still going on your side anyway. Yeah, just purely on principle. He said, okay, it's messed up to just have him out there getting strangled. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? So, so yeah, I think, I think throughout my entire life... Uh, I've I've never really shied away from articulating what I think. I'll, I'll okay. gladly go against you know a hundred people. The reason, of course, you are pro life is obviously the fact part of the fact that you are deeply religious. Where did that come from? Did that come from your mom and dad as well? It's it's actually not. I I I'm a convert to uh, Catholicism around the, the age of about seventeen. You know, I was only baptized a couple of years ago. Uh, okay. My, as was my wife, she was baptized last year. So, um, no, I, I would have been... Uh, my dad is a very eccentric kind of guy. He's he's super intelligent. He's got an IQ of about 142 when he did a test. And so, even though he's Irish, born and raised, he gravitated to Eastern philosophy when he was younger, and he ended up getting into Buddhism. And okay. uh, my, mom was, my mom's from Jamaica. She's an atheist, or was an atheist uh, for most of my life. So... Uh, growing up, they never really pushed religion on me. They didn't tell me I had to believe anything, but I, I love and respect my dad, and he's a really smart guy. So I gravitated mm -hmm. to Buddhism as well at a young age. And so up until I was about 17, 
uh, I was into that sort of Eastern spirituality yeah. and all that kind of thing. So, and what, yeah, what, no, what, what appealed to you about Catholicism? What was the, what was the main difference or what, what really appealed to you about it? Honestly, you, you know, we hear this thing about the uh, the golden rule, that, that this is something that we're taught in religion class and it comes up a lot that, you know, all religions teach pretty much the same thing, you know, just be nice to each other and yeah. treat other people with respect. And I, I believed that for most of my life. And it wasn't until I actually started to examine other religions that I realized that's really not the case. You know, I don't, I don't want to be uh, too critical of other people's beliefs, but just take an example like Hinduism, where you've got tiers of society, you know, like uh, the, this built-in class system or caste system where people at the bottom are terribly mistreated. You've got, uh, you know, in Islam, for example, obviously Sharia law, there's there's classism within that that people are, are treated differently and I, I guess what i'm trying to say is i realized that the message of christianity that you know you should be loving to all people regardless of you know where they come from and that we're all children of god and so on that's a lot more unique and powerful than i had given it credit for i thought i think that pe people overlook the huge significance of what jesus was saying and they act like, oh, yeah, pretty much everybody believed in that. No, everybody believes in that now because we live in a post-Christian world. But at the time, that was hugely revolutionary. And so that got me a lot more interested in Christianity. And then after kind of delving mm. into it, doing a lot more research. I, I Can I ask you a question? Because I, I'm an atheist. Uh, I, I don't believe in anything apart from myself. <laughs> and uh, But in saying that, for a man who I think is deeply intelligent, um. I f and I always say this to people, and please don't take this as an insult or disrespectful to you, you or your religion. I find it difficult to understand how people who are extremely intelligent can believe in something purely based on faith. You know, a story that's so magnificent and I suppose so out there and so partially unbelievable. Um, they can believe in something purely based on faith. Is that difficult for you? Because, you know, if you look at the scientific, to scientific aspect of the world, it kind of contradicts religion in a lot of ways. I mean, the whole idea that somebody made the world in seven days and seven nights, if you believe the Bible, et cetera, et cetera. All of those stories, although some of them are beautifully written stories and have lovely morals to them, you know, the fact that somebody might be 40 days and 40 nights and build a boat with him, his wife and son and his sons, you know, for 1.2 million land-bearing animals, all seems so ridiculously and far out that it would take faith to believe in something like that. Do you struggle with that? No, not at all. I, I think um, it depends entirely on what you mean by faith, because to me, like if, if you look up faith in the dictionary, it's a synonym for uh, trust. You know, if I say I trust you to do something, Niall, it's because I'm saying uh, it's based on past experience with you. It's to say I know you and when, you know, I've asked you to do stuff in the past, you've always come through. So I'm going to trust you now. And so I think when people talk about faith, if you if your definition of faith is I have zero evidence or zero reason to believe this, but I'm just going to believe it anyway, that that makes you an idiot. You know, I, I wouldn't recommend anybody approach a subject that way. But for me, what I'm saying is when I look at the Bible and I look at Christianity and the the, the way of living that it lays out, every single thing I can test it, it it like your your life works out better when you live in by these precepts when you are 
generous and kind to people when you are, do try to. But you can do those things. Life. You can kind of do those things without religion, can't you? I mean, you, that. But that's can. kind of saying you can't be a good person unless you have religion. And I think there are a lot of good people in the world who don't have religion. I I totally agree with you. I think mm. I think that's absolutely correct. But what what I think is a lot of our society is based on. I think you would agree Christian precepts. Like for mm. for example, in Ireland when we were pagans uh, before St. Patrick and all the missionaries and everything, we were running around in the woods, painted blue, naked, <laughs> cutting each other's heads off, as was most of the world. You know, this is the, the society. And then now we've gotten to the point in civilization where we just take it as a given that, of course, it's wrong to, to kill other people. Of course, it's wrong to engage in human sacrifice and so on. These things are unthinkable, whether you're religious or not. But I think that's, just a symptom of how Christianized the world has become, that even atheists and agnostics and non-Christian people have internalized the the values that, you know, Jesus brought that were laid out uh, in, in the... A lot of those Christian values were in society before that. I mean, before Moses stood there with the tablets, you know, of the t with the Ten Commandments, uh, some of the commandments, of course, you know, seem, I suppose, a little bit vain, you know, only believe in me and one God and don't take my name in vain and all that kind of stuff. But to the other stuff, you know, about not killing people, not having an affair, not stealing. Before the tablets even came along, I think society had started to become reasonably civilized anyway. And people morally knew those things were kind of wrong before that happened. So I think a civilization was probably heading in the direction of being more civilized Anyway, I think religion helped. I'm not going to deny that for one minute. I, say, I, think, I certainly think religion and, you know, groupthink, if that's what you want to call it, certainly helped. But look, I respect your religion and I do respect religion. People often think I'm religious, actually, because my views are quite conservative. My views on family, my views on life are very conservative and they think I'm religious. Maybe it comes from the fact that I come from a religious family. My father and mother were very religious. My father was a staunch Catholic and I was sent to Mass every Sunday morning and told, I, and when I'd arrive home, he would always say to me, what was the gospel about? Just make sure I was there. Who was the priest? So I used to get all that just like every other Irish person. But uh, of course, but then you've seen Ireland change so much in the last particularly six years. We have gone from being probably one of the most conservative countries in Europe to being one of the most liberal countries in Europe in a very short space of time. From a religious perspective and from your point of view personally, does that sadden you? Yeah, I think I think it does. You know, it's obviously uh, the things that are happening to the country are terrible and they'd be terrible if they happened anywhere. But I think that Ireland is the jewel of Western civilization. Like just taking the, the hate speech legislation as a, as a perfect example of this, the fact that we're a people who historically preserved words and ideas and information in the form of, Christian monks during the Middle Ages copying manuscripts uh, during the, the Dark Ages when Europe was being raided by the Vandals and the Visigoths and these kinds of barbarian tribes, that it was Irish monks bringing some of the great works of Western literature back to islands off the coast of this country, copying them, protecting them from Viking invasion and so on, that Europe is what it is today. And, you know, it's it's been made by many people the point that Ireland is uh, effectively the country that saved Western civilization. So then to see us throwing away those values that we fought to preserve, I think, is, is uniquely sad, uh, apart from just it being in general a bad idea for any country. Mm -hmm. I mean, in relation to the laws that have changed, you know, same-sex marriage, abortion, 
Um, you know, Ireland, we always seem to want to be first for some reason. Even it comes, if we go right back to 2003, you know, the smoking ban, the plastic bag tax. We always seem to be, we, we always seem to want to be the first to do everything in Europe. Is there a reason for that? Are we trying, are we kind of overcompensating and trying to prove ourselves in Europe that we want to be the first to do these kind of very liberal things? We were the first to have a gender recognition bill, for example. We always want to be the first. And now, of course, you mentioned the hate speech laws. Um, our hate speech laws, if we these get implemented, of course, which they probably will, um, will probably be the strictest in Europe. Why do we always want to be the first? I think we're a deeply insecure country, at least at the uh, political leadership level, where the, people feel like because we're small and because we are traditionally, you know, more conservative, more um, insular, not in a bad way, but just in terms of we, we keep to our own families and so on, that people, at least our, our political classes, feel like we aren't good enough on our own. And so the only way Ireland can be a meaningful uh, country is if we do everything we can to impress foreign entities and powers. And one of the best examples of this is uh, it's taken as an argument in and of itself in Ireland. You hear this for all sorts of topics that they say on this issue, whatever the issue of the day is, we are out of step with the European norm or we're out of step with the OECD norm. And, you know, we need to bring ourselves in line with the rest of Europe. And what's crazy about that to me is it would never occur to us, it seems, to say, hang on a minute, what if we got it right and you guys are all idiots? Has that has that ever occurred to anybody? The fact that the fact that we're unique is actually a strength of ours and that we don't think the exact same as Germans and French and Italians and Brits, that we actually have a mind of our own and we're a country with something to offer beyond yeah. just yeah, we just want to be part of the gang, don't we, really? It's like it's like the kid in the class who is, you know, maybe he's a little bit weaker, I don't know, but he overcompensates to be part of the gang. And that, that's kind of what we're like. And we, we then well, what we do is, you know, that piece of legislation that you're talking about, that fictitious legislation, we go, well, not only are we going to be part of Europe and do what they're doing, we're going to go one step further and we're going to do something else and extend it so we're even better. And this is the overcompensation that we do all the time. And we were seeing that currently at the moment with the abortion laws in Ireland and this campaign now to get them extended, you know, from 12 weeks to possibly 23 weeks and even further, actually, they want to decriminalize completely, which means technically you could have an abortion right up to birth, which is bizarre to go from a country that was absolutely against abortion to being one of the most liberal countries in Europe when it comes to abortion, uh, which is one of those hot topics. And one, I think probably that saddens you very much too, because you're pro-life. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's, um, it's like a kind of cultural iconoclasm where we want to destroy and throw out everything about our history in terms of values, uh, our history itself, you know, we want to to denigrate, uh, uh, you know, the 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 people that came before us as a lot of racist, evil, bigoted monsters, basically. And you know, you can't if if you're on a tree, you can't hack at the roots of that tree without destroying yourself. You're you're going to go down with the ship, as it were. And and so so far as I'm concerned respecting our past of course we can acknowledge bad things that happened and we can uh vow to learn from them and so on but just to take a massive uh steaming dump basically on our own historical legacy as a country and uh, act like this country is some kind of terrible a sh shameful cesspool 
I just don't see how that benefits anybody. I'm, I'm very proud to be Irish. I'm proud of Irish history and our, our uh, fighting for liberty, not mm -hmm. just for ourselves, but for people all over the world. And I don't know why we have to uh, act like that's something that we should be deeply miserable and ashamed of. I mean, when it comes to reporting on the facts in this country, the media, let's just move on to the media. You work for Grip Media, which is a fairly reasonably new entity uh, when it comes to media in general. Irish media were always very conservative, which is quite bizarre when you think about it now. I mean, RT, if you go back in time, was a very conservative organisation, similar to the BBC. And then slowly but surely, they moved to being more liberal. Um, the same goes for all the newspapers. Some of the newspapers would be considered, if you go right back in time, the, the Herald and the Press. The Press were always considered to be a little bit working man's paper, a bit more conservative. The Irish Herald always leaned a little bit more to the left. Um, but that changed, of course, the press went away. And now the same same happened again then with online media. When we moved to online media in the last 10 years, the first one, of course, was the Journal.ie, um, who are without a shadow of a doubt left-leaning. And now we're seeing all the media move to the left, with the exception of, say, Gripped and one or two other small publications. Why do you think even the media seems to be following the same direction and we're not getting a balance in media? Why do you think that is? Well, I'd say to confine it just to the media isn't even to do the topic justice because every single institution in society has become more left-leaning. Corporate uh, entities, companies, you know, you see this all the time with your Nikes and your Disneys and all, all this kind of thing. Costa Coffee is the latest, I believe, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Costa Coffee, uh, you know, movies, TV shows, politicians, obviously, the civil service. Um, you know, I would say even the church as a as a practicing Catholic myself, I would say that the church has gone very liberal in many ways. Uh, you know, every single universities, <laughs> I mean, how can we about that? Schooling, the education system and so on. Every single level of society. I, I mean, here, here, I'll put it this way. Uh, I, I recently published a piece, which I think you and I may have discussed, about how Dublin Bus instituted a new policy where uh, if you identify as a as a female, even though you're a biological male, you're allowed to use the women's changing room and toilets, whether or not you've had surgery. This is Dublin Bus, you know, would you think? Uh, if I, <laughs> you think if they'd you stay think out of politics, yeah. Yeah, exactly. If you can think of anything that is should be less political than a bus service i can't think of it but apparently they're they're weighing in on these issues as well uh the defense forces is coming out with stuff about climate change how climate change is one of the biggest threats facing ireland today the hse you know things that in theory should have nothing to do with politics have been completely ideologically captured by all of this and why why is that we can use the word wokeism of course this is all being, you know, to be part of, I mean, it's almost like big corporate companies feel they need to pick a side. And they don't actually, but they do feel they need to. And of course, there's that famous line, go woke, go broke. And um, why do you think they feel they need to pick a side, even the Garda Shia Khan during Pride Month or whatever it happens to be? Why do they always feel they need to pick a side? I'd say it's because the people who object to this stuff, at least up until recently, have not had any real teeth to when, when mount a, a proper backlash. So what, what I mean by that is, what, if you are to sin against the sort of left-wing orthodoxy on any of these issues, trans, climate change, whatever it might be, you will, as we all know, instantly be hounded by a, a whole online mob of enraged Twitter users <laughs> who are then going to descend upon you and give it to you with both barrels. 
And so most people just don't want the hassle or or the the drama of that. And so they say, okay, I'll go with them. Whereas conversely, if you offend, you know, let's say religious people, more conservative people, or even just people who aren't religious or conservative, but they just don't like the insane direction society is going. If you offend those offend those people, there's really no consequences. They aren't the kinds of people who they're fair game. Yeah, you're fair game. Yeah. They don't yeah. freak out. They don't. And so that's why actually in America, I've been a little bit encouraged to see some of these uh, conservative boycotts actually working, uh, like the Bud Light thing being the most prominent example. The fact that they, there there needs to be a consequence, I think, for going with this sort of insane direction, you know, and, and so I think that would make a lot of companies think twice or if they go, OK, look, if we go down this route, we are going to have, you know, an exodus of customers. We're going to have backlash. We're going to have negative PR. And we can't just smack conservatives around. There's actually going to be a, a financial penalty here, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the form of people voting with their wallets. Uh, I, You know, I think that's kind of the way these things need to go. I mean, does that, it limits your your career, you know, and I, I find that as well, being a conservative. I'm one of the very few conservatives left on radio in this country, actually, to be honest with you. But I, I do find, and I don't know if it worries you as a young man, I'm 59, I've had a lot of my career behind me now, and hopefully still lots of success in the future, but it limits your career if you're conservative, if you're considered to be right-wing. You know, I mean, it limits the jobs you can get in the media, particularly in Ireland, which is so left-leaning in the media. At least in America, you've got two extremes on each side, you know, and, and you know, some media will take you on, no problem. But does that concern you, that you're limiting your, your own career? Not really. And I, I'm very happy to say that my wife is of the same view as me on this, that I, I feel like these issues are so important. As, as I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm having a, my first child. Congratulations, by the way, again. I know we talked about it at the much. time and I, and I seen the scans and everything. So congratulations. Yeah, those things are amazing. The game, getting to see the, the face, 3D, you know, yeah. Here, absolutely. Yeah, well, I, I hope you're, well, by the way, sorry to give you the negative news. I hope you're well prepared for the sleepless nights, but then we can talk about that oh, yeah, in a minute. Absolutely. That, that I am, well, I'm trying to get all my sleep in now. Ahead yeah, of you might as well. <laughs> your life will not be your own anymore, Ben. Trust me, it won't be yours. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, so yeah, yourself and your wife agree that you're happy enough to go down the road that it limits your career. And and it's because I'm I'm looking at a picture of my son here, and I think about the kind of Ireland and the kind of world I want him to grow up in, and I I find it you know frightening not not my future career prospects, you know whatever happens I know that we'll make it and get by one way or another, but the idea that he would grow up in a world where this kind of thing like we plan for example to homeschool because the education system has gone so crazy, I cannot foresee a situation where I would want to enroll my child in a school where they're being taught this insane nonsense, you know? And, and I think many parents feel in a similar way that my wife is kind of the only person at this point that I would trust to instill proper values in, in, mm -hmm. in our kids. So uh, what, the only reason I say that is I am more concerned about the consequences of not doing anything than some kind of theoretical threat to my career if I was to come out and talk about these topics. You know, I think I'd rather take that risk and maybe not ascend to the lofty heights that I could have at RTE or something. Yeah. <laughs> but well, you know, if you, if you go all woke, you get, I take, you'll get a top job, you know, if you go all woke. But but in saying that, do you think the pendulum will swing back? Because 
we've gone, as I said, from a conservative Ireland only 40 years ago, you know, where the media would have been very conservative and very, you know, Christian and everything else. Which RTE had their own religious affairs department. I don't know whether they still do or not. Uh, that everything had to be checked by the religious affairs department before it even went out on the air. So do you think the pendulum will swing back? Um, because what happened was the pendulum swung from, you know, this kind of conservative right-wing country to like all the way over to this extreme left. Do you think it'll swing back to the middle somewhere eventually again? Or do you think it's going to stay there and get worse? I think we're already seeing the swing back. I think that's what things like East Wall are. I think that's what the pushback to the hate speech legislation, uh, I think that's what that is and what we're seeing there. You know, the the Gender Recognition Act, which you referred to earlier, uh, that passed in, I believe, 2015. Mm-hmm. And what's what's crazy about that to me is there was almost no debate or notice of that at the time when it actually passed. And you know this, this is so funny. Well, I was talking about it on the radio. I was the only one talking about it on the radio at the time. I I bet you were. You're probably holding down the entire, I'd say you have back (laughs) problems from carrying the entire Irish media landscape. Nobody was listening to me. I felt like I was banging my head off a wall. What, you're going to give a birth certificate with the wrong gender on it to somebody? Are you mad? That was was the conversations. Do you want to know how much time RTE dedicated to it on the day that that passed? I actually went back in the archives and I looked that on the day that legislation passed, this is a hugely, for for listeners who might not know, this is such a crazy piece of legislation that this is the law that allowed the violent biological male, Barbie Kardashian, to be put into a women's prison under under Irish law. This This is the law that did that. And when that law was passed, RTE dedicated, I think, about one minute and ten seconds to covering it. And it was just a very matter of fact, oh yeah, this law was suggested, it went through by this many votes, and uh, this is basically what... And it's a done deal, yeah. And now on to sport, and they just (laughs) dropped it. And, And so far as I'm concerned, you look at that, that was back in 2015, as I say, that shows you... There was zero debate. There was nobody at that point, almost nobody with the exception of yourself and a couple of uh, lone voices in the wilderness. There was virtually nobody with, you know, major... But you, do you know what the problem was, Ben? Here was the problem. That when we look at the news now, and we have social media, of course, as well, which fills us in on a lot of stuff that we miss out, out on in the news. People are talking about stuff all the time. We're hearing about stuff. Like I heard, I saw the image of the Costa Coffee thing there two days ago. Otherwise, I wouldn't have known about it, right? I saw it on Twitter. So we're seeing things. We're very conscious of things. The public are very conscious of things. But even six years ago, nobody really knew. Nobody really cared because it wasn't such a big deal because nobody looked at the consequences. I did. And I remember at the time we had numerous topics at the time, like we were talking about, for example, the fact of changing your birth certificate. I'm going, how can you change a historical document? Whatever about giving somebody another certificate. How about, why why are you allowed to physically alter a historical document? I said, that's just a lie. You know, so now I said, we're legalizing lying as well. And that was the whole conversation I had at the time. But, and my listeners all loved it. They all got involved. They were ringing in two and four and four and against and everything else. But nobody else was talking about it because the national conversations only six years ago weren't happening. You know what I mean? No. The likes of Grip Media, and, for example, and, have brought and, out some national conversations that are happening, you know, and now. And, you know, because there's at least there's somebody challenging the narrative apart from, you know, the odd voice in the wilderness like me. So, but, but it's just those conversations just weren't happening. People weren't aware of it. Exactly. And now that's that's why I say, uh, you know, you asked me about the pendulum swinging back. That's why I'm really encouraged that 
we are having these debates now. There are conversations happening on all sorts of Im- issues like immigration, like trans, like, uh, you know, hate speech and so on and so forth. A lot of COVID, another one. You know, mm. all of these things are now coming out of the woodwork. And, you know, for me, I, I'm personally encouraged by that because I don't think these ideas can stand up to scrutiny. I think as the reason the the establishment runs from debates on these topics and they, they'll run a mile at the first whiff of any kind of pushback is because they know the whole thing collapses under scrutiny. It doesn't make sense. Uh, I, I mean, just to, just to take one anecdotal example, uh, the government for the longest time, whenever they're challenged on RTE's funding, they always say things like, um, the state broadcaster is very important for strengthening democracy. And they've said this a hundred <laughs> times. They say it like a... Like I, a I heard the piece you did with Catherine Martin go back a few weeks ago there as well when she was talking about the state broadcaster being so impartial. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah, isn't. absolutely. That we, we needed for its lovely impartial coverage, which uh, was giving <laughs> giggle. But, but you know, I, I decided to ask her. I said, you know, Minister... In what way does RTE strengthen democracy? And she just pretty much categorically refused to answer the question, which I believe means there probably isn't an answer, which means it's just a thing that's sort of said without any real substance behind it. Um, You you know, and and they're like this on all sorts of issues, military neutrality and all kinds of things. There's just these platitudes that people come out with. And climate change being the latest, of course, which will go on for many, many years. Um, I, and I, I only yesterday actually I got into a bit of a, a barney there just, or just a, a couple of weeks ago I got into a barney with um, you know a climate change uh, journalist I won't say which one but I think people have a fair idea a climate change journalist who believes that anybody who disagrees with climate change or the reason for climate change because nobody this whole idea of being a climate denier there's no such thing as a climate denier unless you're an idiot because of course the climate changes all the time if you're denying the word climate well there's something mentally wrong with you but the, the purpose I mean, of the- I mean, I know, like right here where we're sitting uh, you know 10,000 or 20,000 years ago however many uh, millennia back we probably would have been sitting under a, a sheet of ice about a Probably, thick. yeah. You know, because like, so as you, as you say, like, the but he wanted people was- deplatformed. He he had said that RTE and media should not give a platform to anybody who essentially disagrees with him, and and yeah. and, and other people were jumping in and going, "You're right, well done, yeah, well done, you're right, you're right," yeah, and I'm going. So th- this is what we're coming to now. So we've moved away from COVID because that was the one you weren't allowed to have an opinion on. So the latest one is is climate change. And again, nobody's denying the climate is changing, but we can all have a debate and we should be allowed to have a debate of what's the reasons why it's happening or the reasons or the things we can do to make things better on this planet for everybody, by the way, when it comes to the environment, et cetera, et cetera. Not just listening to one story, one narrative, and that's the one you'll get funded for. People often say, why isn't there many climate science disagreeing? I say because they won't get funding if they disagree. That's why. And they, so they, they'll have to agree, otherwise they're out of a job. But, I mean, they just will not allow debate and the media are going to go in that direction again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the, the best example of that was earlier in the year, I think we saw those uh, wildfires in Greece and every single paper you, you opened, they were talking about climate change this and climate change that. And, oh, look at the g- global boiling that is being caused by climate change that's led to these fires and all of this nonsense. And when you ask the local fire department in Rhodes where it was happening, they said it was due to arson. And I actually did an article about this last year in 2022. And there were so many uh, of these fires all over Europe 
that were later found out by the police, verified to be caused by arsonists. This one guy, he was a French firefighter who was a pyromaniac for the thrill. He, he had like a nagging wife and he wanted to get away from his kids and his way of relieving stress and getting a bit of a, a buzz rather than going to the pub with his mates was to set fires. And he set like, you know, <laughs> nine or 10 fires over a couple of summers. So, and, and that's just one example. There's endless examples of this in Spain, in Italy, in Greece. Well, I, so I, I saw one of our, our, our major news outlets, uh, radio stations, Stoke News Outlets recently, ran an article three weeks ago saying Ireland will be in Mediterranean uh, climate by the year, whatever it is, right? And we two weeks later, two weeks later, they have another article saying uh, climate change will affect Ireland differently and it'll be cooling down. And I'm going... Are you guys going to make up your mind? as So it doesn't matter what happens, we just use climate change as an excuse. That's just the excuse. That, that's because of climate change. That's just the way it is. So this, this brings me to politics very quickly because I know I don't have you for too much time this morning. But when we look at politics at the moment, you've got the Green Party in there who are making no sense whatsoever. 3% of the national vote, okay? I, I doubt very much they'll even see the inside of the building of Leinster House ever again. Uh, after all the taxes they brought in, and people are probably not happy about that. I don't think the majority of people in this country are willing to pay to save the planet. Um, but when we look at politics, if I go back in time when I was young and my father was a Fianna Fáil man, he was a conservative. And then you had, you know, Fianna Gael and you had the Labour Party for the working man. You had other parties throughout the years, by the way, as well. You had the PDs and a few others in there throughout the year. But you always had different values and different parties. So if somebody got into government, you had an opposition with a different value. Now we see Sinn Féin, Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Green Party, essentially, all singing from the same hymn sheet, all cheeks off the same arse. So People will have no choice. So when it, people keep saying, oh, but look, if you want change, vote with your feet the next election. So what's the point? There, there will be no point because they all have the same values. Uh, I, I, I mean, of course, that's true. That's absolutely correct. But I think uh, I, whenever I see people saying, oh, that's it, I'm not voting or whatever, I just cringe because I think that's, that's the most useful thing you could do for the status quo, like the government would be delighted. Um, I mean, of course the government would prefer if people voted for them, but what I mean is like the, the people who are dissatisfied and disengaged with the political system, if they were all in their droves to say, that's it, I'm staying home. That's the biggest gift you could give to the, the current ruling mm -hmm. establishment. So yeah, I, de I definitely think that we're in a state of um, political stagnation. And I was talking on Twitter. I, I, I hope this didn't depress people. I'm not depressed at all about the future. I think we have huge opportunities to change this country for the better. And I, I'm extremely optimistic. But uh, I was talking about how I really do, do not see how the current government can lose the next election, barring some enormous change. And people were gobsmacked by that because they were thinking, No, they what can't. You You're right. But, but I, I just don't see it because Sinn Féin have been stalling in the polls for months they've not been able to surpass themselves significantly because and i think i mean i'm not going to attribute it solely to this but uh, all of the immigration stuff in east wall which is a Sinn Féin stronghold so that's mary lou mcdonald's own constituency uh, that can't have helped them their silence and not not only silence but they're voting for the hate speech bill which we now know is super unpopular that can't have helped them. You know, things like this. Obviously I don't see, by the way, I don't see Sinn Féin. Years ago in politics, you'd see the opposition quite a lot. They'd be on TV quite a lot. 
with the exception of Owen O'Brien talking about housing every now and again, I rarely see, you know, uh, Mary Lou. I, I, I just don't see them anymore. You, I, don't, I don't know where they are, what they're doing. It's hard to understand what they even believe in anymore. Um, they've turned their back on republicanism, it seems. Uh, it's very difficult to understand what they're actually about anymore politically. Yeah, they've, they've very much gone to ground. And I think I, I, I've probably made this point on the show before, but I'll make it again because I've always compared Sinn Féin to a guy with two girlfriends and he's desperately <laughs> trying to stop them from finding out about each other and he's constantly <laughs> on 10 roads because they, they're trying to court the sort of blue-collar, uh, working-class, conservative types who are their traditional base. But they also want to get in all of these new sort of liberal, middle-class voters and that's two incompatible demographics because if you come, if you knock on the door of somebody in East Wall and you start talking about teaching their kids about non-binary this and gender fluid that, you're going to be chased out of there with pitchforks. And comparatively, if you go to somewhere like Dublin Bay South and you start talking about we need to restrict immigration and yada yada, you're you're going to find yourself on the wrong side of those people. So no matter what they say on any issue, they're going to end up pissing one group or the other off and cause a mutiny. So their their new strategy is just to stay as quiet as possible and sit on the fence. Their hands must be absolutely numb with the amount they sit on their hands because <laughs> they just stay out of everything as much as is humanly possible. And so people are starting to cop on to that. And I think, again, we've seen it many times in politics that long before an election, an opposition party seems to be doing very well. They rise in the polls and then they peak and they head back down and they don't do any better than that. And this might be one of those situations. And even, you know, you when you look at the polling, I won't, I won't steamroll you. I'll let you jump in now. <laughs> Sorry to monopolize your show. But, no, you're right. Um, I'm enjoying when, the conversation. When you, look at, when you look at the actual numbers, Sinn Féin will not have, assuming we had an election tomorrow and the opinion polls were more or less accurate, Sinn Féin wouldn't have anywhere near enough seats to form a majority on their own. And they would even struggle to do it with groups like People Before Profit and the Social Democrats and Labour. Heaven forbid. And that's assuming that all of those coalesce together, because as we know, and I've made this point before... Can you imagine people, Can you imagine People Before Profit in government? Ah, oh, stop. Heaven Jamie forbid. Mack. <laughs> but, that, but that would be that would be such an unstable coalition. I don't see that working. So what that means is the the only real alternative is what I don't know the like these Irish right wing sort of smaller outsider no, parties. There isn't many of them, unfortunately. Is, no. I, I, again, I don't like. Obviously, there's exceptions and everything. Maybe some people will do well, but I overall, find. See, here's the thing. I I find with some of these smaller right wing parties and right wing groups or right wing independent politicians. You know, I find my difficulty with them is they're too right for even me, some of them. Some of the things they say, I find, I'm not going to say offensive because I don't take offense to anything, but I'm sure they offend some people. Um, I I just think they go too far. And the same thing happens to me when it comes to the protests. When I see protests, be it in Eastwall or Ballybrack or whatever it is, 80% of the people are good, decent, fine people who just have concerns about their area and their, and their community. But when I see some of the people, you know, and... I'm no disrespect for the Irish flag, but it's always a bit of a telltale sign when somebody's draped in a flag around their shoulders and they start chanting racist stuff. You know what I mean? That just turns me off even trying to support them. And I want desperately to support people, you know, but it turns me off because I don't want to be linked to some lunatic. And that, 
for me, that makes it really difficult, you know. But but getting back to politics, um, and, and this is just the final question. So you think the future is bright, even without uh, Sinn Féin people for our profit. But Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil are stagnant. They're like a, a cosy little couple at home drinking a glass of wine with Europe. So they're just kind of stagnant. They're not doing anything. They're just agreeing with everything. Just anything to stay in a job. We know that Mihal Martin is planning to go to Europe anyway. Leo is probably planning to do the same. These guys are self-serving. They're looking for a job in Europe. We know that. So how can you say the future is bright for Ireland? Because we're at the inception of something. And I think, as I say, the fact that there is a pushback on any of these issues where there wasn't before means that people are starting to become more uh, aware, first of all, politically of the state of the country and that people are starting to kind of have their fill of the crazy direction we're going on some of these issues and so for me personally i find that very encouraging that while it might not manifest at the next election we might be in for five more years of the same uh come come the the next vote which i think is supposed to be next year um that that's the short term i think in the long term we're starting to see a building of momentum which won't won't soon go away and to be honest I think that's what the hate speech legislation is about and, and all of these different laws. They, they have this other law for stamping out, quote unquote, misinformation and disinformation oh. and who gets to decide that. Yeah. You know, so I think... I They're like the fact checkers. Is, so nobody's fact checking the fact checkers. Actually, there was a court case in the, in the US in relation to fact checking and they admitted the fact checking organization. They had to admit under oath that fact checking was just an opinion. And that's all fact checking is. It's just their opinion, is which doesn't agree with your opinion. But look, Ben, it's been wonderful talking to you. I'd love to continue this conversation on again sometime. Um, I, I think we, I think we'd make a good duo, actually. <laughs> but I think we, I think we just upset too many people. But that's the problem. But Ben, it's been lovely talking to you. Continued success in your career. I know a lot of people are following you both online and with Grip Media, and they see you, of course, uh, in particularly in the print media. If we call, still call it the print media nowadays, or the online media, as of as their voice, because they do feel voiceless. People feel voiceless sometimes. I suppose you're the voice of the common man. <laughs> Thank you very much. And likewise, I think uh, I think that's definitely something you've been doing very well and for a lot longer than I have. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Podcast. Listen live on Facebook, YouTube, and all the usual live stream services. To get in touch, just WhatsApp or text 085-100-2255. The Niall Boylan Podcast. They told me to shut up. Available for download from all your usual platforms.